1: how do you use the sample size of week one and week two to help make you make your decisions throughout the rest of the season was that massive week that was on the bench of your roster potentially you know one that you missed that you have to have in in week three or is that one that maybe it's a a one-off rather than something that you can rely on every week and vice versa is it something with a you know a zero maybe in the scoreline like we've seen in week one with T Higgins we were always going to start him in week two but has that big day in week two and seen a couple of those games this week where we see boom performances from players who maybe are on the fringe of making your roster or making your starting lineup and then we see some of those where players who are in your starting lineup after big week ones have now disappointed where is the middle ground and how can you make those decisions that is what we were doing today on road of his overtime as well as looking through some of the final games that we haven't yet talked about from NFL week two excited to do this one Sean I think it's going to be a, a fun process that a lot of people will be able to use then to set those lineups throughout the upcoming week for, for NFL Week 3. So as we kick things off, Sean, how are you feeling as we kind of get into that post-Week 2 glow as we, we head towards NFL Week
2: 3? Yeah, this this was such a fun week that I think it it just it creates again, kind of that warm glow of... Does Week 3 I do it? I mean, why not? Why not, right? We're going to get further adjustments from both sides, offenses and defenses going forward. As we think through how you want to play Week 3 and how you want to make moves in Redraft and Dynasty separately, it's fun to dive in after such an exciting week. Whereas, you know, if we had gotten a repeat of week one where there's not a lot of scoring, there aren't big plays you're like, yeah, I mean, you can dive into the usage and basically what we're going to find is that <laughs> the starters are the people you want to play and it's going to be boring to have that not be the case. is just so much fun. And one of the games here column that we wanted to start with and one of the players, the score that I see on my benches on basically every league because I do have him <laughs> in basically every league is the 20 points from Marvin Mims. You get the two massive plays. You get the touchdowns. Everything about what he does in this game against the commanders is as he was advertised. What the Denver Broncos said when they drafted him, what we were able to say on the podcast, obviously the his rookie guide really loved him. And then Colum, you and I had a bunch of great analysts on the show during prospect season and we asked all of them like what are we missing here why is marvin mims not ranked higher and all of them said i mean look marvin mims is good <laughs> right so we have this element here and yet the broncos then decide not to use him from that point and from that point they get absolutely crushed by the Commanders. so the number one thing that you are its not just that
1: they didn't use him from that point. They used him; they, they let him run six rights.
2: And when you look, so at they this, didn't use him at most points. They used him at one point, <laughs> right? And when you consider that you know Russell Wilson throws 32 times, he does get over 300 yards with the hail mary at the end. You have a situation where Brandon Johnson has three total targets, but because he does. Catch a couple of big plays, including the Hail Mary. He ends up with two touchdowns. He's obviously a guy that we're not going to be chasing on waivers. Obviously, listeners to OT are not prioritizing him by any stretch. But you do have this game where Cortland Sutton gets the seven targets and doesn't do a ton with it. Jerry Judy gets the five targets, does almost nothing with it. You like to see Judy as involved as he was from a snap and route perspective. That's the positive. And you know that it's going to grow. And so the situation with the Broncos is going to be similar to the situation with a lot of other teams where we're looking at this and you want to be thinking about three different things. You're going to be thinking about the profile that the player has coming in and really taking a big picture view of that. Because the guys who are the big talents are going to be the ones that, as the season progresses, are going to take share away from the other players. Number two, you're looking at where we are now with them. Because that is going to matter for how we set our lineups in week three, week four. Sadly, unless you have a bunch of injuries, already in the very early going Mims is probably still not really a consideration we've got to see him out there on the field more because these long plays are unpredictable always but they're more likely to happen when you got a lot of shots at them as opposed to just a couple of chances it is something where you're definitely not going to be cutting Marvin Mims if you get somebody who is willing to sell in dynasty because they're thinking, okay, this is the sell-high moment. This guy's barely playing, and yet he hit on some big plays. I can move him now. I think that you want to look to do that. And maybe they're going to try and sell high at a price that you're not comfortable with. And that's where developing those good relationships to where you can go back and forth. Maybe you can do a two-for-two two where you have somebody who is coming off of a big game and is maybe more established And you're looking for a window to move them in a perpetual reloading mindset at prices that work. And so you've got to have that kind of moment where the two elements match up. That's how we would kind of look at this in Dynasty. The element here with Judy is that, again, this passing game looked so good for a half, so I'm thinking about this and looking at Russell Wilson with Sean Payton and saying if they can come out in the first half of these first two games and light it up the way that they have done, I think that creates a very good context. So then the third part would be the offensive context that we're dealing with, who you have as the QB, who you have as the play caller, and what the identity of the team in the early going is looking like. This team looks like a team that is going to be able to throw the ball successfully, to push the ball down the field, to light up the scoreboard as we get going. And I think that when you have a Sean Payton, the opportunities to make adjustments mid-game and mid-season are going to be a lot better than for the weaker coaching staffs. So from that perspective, I think that you can look for further production from Mims, certainly from Javante Williams, you can look at Jerry Judy as being an ascending guy. Anybody who is out there in a league where opposing managers are really frustrated by this three for 25 from Judy, I think you want to go out and make the acquisition there. It's probably a pretty decent time to sell on a Cortland Sutton if you're going to get a price that reflects where he was drafted and that the volume has been decent for him for the first couple of games. Certainly, you know, if you had been able to add a touchdown in this game, it would be a great sell opportunity for me Colin one of the things that I'm hoping and we almost saw a little bit of this in week two but more concentration in terms of the targets we don't get a lot to the tight ends in this game part of that is that Dulcet is out obviously Troutman only draws the one target I think that we're going to see the Broncos play through their starters and play through their stars more as the season develops I think this is a passing game that and if you're looking at this and saying, okay, well, they lost to the Raiders, the Raiders aren't probably very good. They lost to the Commanders, the Commanders might still not be very good. As soon as the opposing defense made some adjustments, they completely <laughs> collapsed in both games. Those are all negatives. I'm looking at this as a situation to buy.
1: Yeah, I, I think that you mentioned there, you know, they've done it kind of in the first half of both games. And I do think there's an adjustment period here, but. I, I think with Peyton and Wilson, they have been able to dial up some very good plays in those early portions. And I think if they can put it all together for a, a full contest, obviously Wilson does you know, add 50 yards in a touchdown with that Hail Mary, which kind of pads out the, the numbers, but he also had 56 yards rushing on six attempts on the ground. So I thought overall what we've seen through two weeks from the Broncos is a, a positive based on where we were last season. I guess that might not be, not be very hard, but it is positive. On the other side, Sean, we have to mention just briefly sam howell continues to look like we hoped maybe even maybe even at times slightly better than we anticipated through two weeks but he has two touchdowns passing here he um you know the the pass the touchdown to terry mclaurin is is one of the nicest you know passes catches touchdown combination i think that you're probably going to see all season not the most over the top but it it was absolutely fantastic and uh, then brian robinson obviously we talked about him last season obviously as the shooting incident comes back maybe isn't 100 he's 18 for 87 on the ground here with two rushing touchdowns two receptions for 42 yards in this so looking very good in this to get him back out there as well the one note sean i do want to mention is you know logan thomas catches a touchdown here and gets uh, i'm going to use the word assaulted um I, I think there's no reason for this to happen in the modern nfl in terms of the hit that was laid on him by kareem jackson and you know for people who maybe aren't (laughs) as annoyed at the hit that he had the previous week it mightn't have stood out as much but he is also the player that knocked out jacoby myers in week one with another egregious hit and i do think if the nfl is serious about their health and safety protocols you know i think there's should be a suspension handed down here for back-to-back weeks with hits this this was one of the most blatant you know attempts of targeting. That I've, I think I've ever seen, and you know, in the last say three four years. Um, so I think I'm, I'm hoping to see over the next couple of days. I don't want people to be
2: getting suspended or things like that, but I think it's deserved here in this particular point. The thing you're grateful for here, Colin, is that at least Kareem Jackson was ejected. So the NFL is putting some distance in place. But you think about this particular play where logan thomas is going to catch the touchdown and somehow despite being it really appears knocked out does hold on to the ball and score the touchdown but you can tell that in certain situations the defensive backs are still thinking that if i can stop a touchdown here and you get a personal foul you get half the distance to the goal then they still have to score which is still difficult and it could change and allow us to win this game. I'm willing to take that risk. You have to have stronger disincentives in place and especially for repeat offenders. This is one kind of, as you mentioned where, you know, in some other countries (laughs) you might even have criminal charges filed. It's just, it's such a, it's such an egregious play. And as you mentioned, has no business in sports it also leads to situations where there was, obviously, some fisticuffs after this play. Mm-hmm. You kind of feel grateful that it doesn't devolve into just a full brawl. Because, I mean, any normal person is not going to let one of their friends be assaulted like this. Certainly, football players are not going to let their teammates be assaulted like this. And, I mean, this is a Vontaze Perfect type of situation. Yeah, I where... was trying to think
1: of the name, and I couldn't pop it in. When I was saying it, it was the worst, I was going to say, it's the worst since... Fontes Perfect was uh, on the NFL feed, I think.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you still have people who... Uh, we can't forgive everything that Antonio Brown has done since saying that it's because of these brutal hits, but everything that we know about the science of it leads you to believe that that's probably a complicating factor. I mean, you're talking about ruining people's lives with this type of play. And again, it's flagrantly illegal. It's not like you accidentally made a mistake and hit somebody in the wrong way and then it led to a concussion, Right. I mean, this is, this is just, it's so far beyond the pale, it's almost impossible even to fathom that this kind of thing is going on. The first thing that I saw when I watched this hit or the thought when I watched this hit was that it was so similar to the one that rearranged Anquan Bolden's face all of those years ago. I mean, you could destroy the person's facial bone structure. And this type of thing not only is it so bad in the moment, but it leads to the blowback and the counterattacks. I mean, this is where you get that vicious hit from Juju Smith-Schuster, where, and he blindsides perfect. And I mean, people are going to be going after Kareem Jackson because when you're that dirty, people don't want you on the field. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I think the thing to do for the Broncos will be to release him. It just, you can't... it just it's a very upsetting thing to see in 2023 when so many of us are already kind of on the edge in terms of feeling comfortable with the sport that we love because it does so much damage to people
1: I, I would agree with that so i think that's enough about uh you know trying to change the laws of the nfl but we'll we'll move on uh, but we'll see what happens over the, the course of the rest of the week i guess but moving in sean to another one of kind of the areas of what to do moving forward with certain players and i think an interesting one of these is with the la chargers they faced off with the titans they lose field goal in overtime we had a couple of games extended this weekend to overtime we never do enough of this sean we should have like some sort of like sounder or some sort of buzzer when a game goes to overtime that should be a real you know celebrate celebration here for the brand but we got a couple of ot games this week the titans do edge it out there now one and one the chargers oh and two a couple of teams that you know throughout this two-week spell that you would have been thinking maybe they're going to be one and one or even two and oh and now they're dropping to oh and two so we'll see what happens they obviously didn't have Austin Eckler this week didn't travel with the team joshua kelly didn't do much nothing really done on the ground they had 21 combined team attempts on the ground for 61 yards so that's not getting a lot done i thought herbert looked okay in this game there's something just about Justin Herbert at the moment that it doesn't really get me all that excited. But when you're you know struggling to to outpace Ryan Tannehill with the trajectory that people were putting on on Herbert in terms of you know draft capital and so on this season, I think there's still a lot to be done. But he does have 305 and two touchdowns through the air. Keenan Allen though, Sean. You you were talking about him quite a bit in the the offseason and the draft process and how he seemed severely undervalued but he had 10 targets here he's always been a a target hog but eight for 111 and two touchdowns he looked really good here but we get 13 targets going the way of mike williams eight receptions 83 yards which is a, a pretty big day for him so the the combination I was talking about here is what we're expecting kind of rest of season and how to balance that out for starting lineups and rosters so we have Allen, we have williams and then we have quentin johnson who we expect to grow into this offense as the season progresses have a successful finish to the season, but just the two targets going his way. Sean, one reception for seven yards, and obviously that's going to to mix things up. And we'll dive more into it in a moment. But just the nine routes run by him. We have Josh Palmer, for example. He runs twenty eight routes in this particular contest. Three receptions, thirteen uh, yards for him on five targets. On the other side, though, one that was quite interesting was Traylon Burks, who midway through the second quarter has a huge reception gets 70 yards on it goes for 76 yards in total on three receptions but only the four targets for him and really from that catch almost onwards not really involved in the game plan although he was out there for the snaps on the field we get deandre hopkins in this one who was banged up five targets four receptions for 40 yards and then nick westbrook akine three for three for 25 and one so we get a Kind of mixed bag really spread around in the offense. Nobody really leading the way. And Targets Hopkins does lead the way with five. We have three others on four, including Derrick Henry, who just I wish could continue to get used a little bit more in that screen game. So, Sean, I guess the questions here are going to be around Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Quentin Johnson. But not only that, but on the flip side, looking at, you know, Traylon Works, DeAndre Hopkins, I guess, and, you know, Akonko, somebody who has been, you know, in that kind of Nine through 12 range in tight end premium leagues, in particular, at the tight end position, he goes four for 35 here on four targets. So, there's a, a number of players in both offenses that maybe are underproducing, maybe are starting to show flashes, maybe they aren't getting usage like a Quentin Johnson. We're starting to see the flashes from Trillon Burks, but the utilization is probably similar to what we're seeing from a Marvin Mims. So, how are we playing that now as we enter, say, week three for our starting lineups? So we obviously know. Keen Allen's a, an every week play, so we we can probably just say Keen Allen.
2: We don't need to talk about him. He's uh, he's a stud. Yeah, this game was just so rich in terms of things to look at and think through as we think ahead. This idea of how are we going to manage rosters and, and this one really put up a lot of que- like questions in all different directions. You know. So many different. Because if you had Josh Kelly last week, you're so excited. He has the big game. And then you're going to get this opportunity with Austin Eckler out. And you're thinking now maybe he has the type of game that we saw from a Kyron Williams. But instead, you have Tennessee's defense able to make those plays. Obviously, you read Blair's wrong read article, the matchups article that he writes. which Nailed this one. I think, you know, quickly becoming you know, one of those go-to articles for understanding and getting ready for the week to make your start sets to to work through your tricky DFS choices, you know this is going to be a more difficult matchup. And it's one where probably having the elite talent at the running back position is going to be more important. Whereas in the weaker matchups, guys who get volume have a pretty decent chance of going off. So that would be a little bit of the contrast there. Not to say he couldn't have had a good game, that there isn't <laughs> kind of a another universe in which it went better, but they were able to force the Chargers to throw. If you want to look at it that way, often incentivizing the other team to throw is not necessarily good. And as a result, you do get these 13 targets to Mike Williams. It's interesting because the game two here perfectly illustrated our thesis for Keenan Allen, which is that he's still... A superstar he's going to be in an offense that is more competently schemed and called he should be someone who is maybe a mid-second round pick as opposed to a 3-4 turn pick you know through a couple of weeks that looks relatively accurate still a long way to go one of the things as you're looking through here is that we have this contrast between Allen and Williams to where Williams really blows up here with 160 air yards he has a much higher weighted opportunity rating than Allen in this game and yet the racers which are going to be a little bit different when you have one guy with an 8 out of 12 one guy with eight off under 11 I mean maybe not as big of a contrast there as many people would actually be expecting with Allen more of the possession type of receiver but when you have a racer with Allen over one and mike williams at you know 0.52 it does does illustrate that you're probably also going to get different efficiency levels from these players and that certainly if williams is mostly going to be targeted down the field it's going to be difficult for him to come down with all those now in this game he does do very nicely i think if you have mike williams and you get eight for 83 you're very happy with that the question then becomes are you going to continue to get it what is quentin Johnston going to do Johnson is the perfect example of someone who I think was a very savvy stash in redraft because you're not looking to play him the first couple of weeks. But what you were looking to get was more of a Marvin Mims type of eruption and less of what we're actually getting for him, which is minimal play and probably not that high quality of play. He does get an end zone target in this. He's arguably interfered with on it. And yet when you go up with one hand and maybe the other arm is being held, well, you have to fight through it to either get the pass interference or get the other hand up there. And this isn't a situation where you're just going to be running this play and practice 50 times. And when you make the highlight one-handed catch, then everybody cheers and it's put out on social media and goes viral. In an actual NFL game, you've got to have the other hand there and you've got to make the catch, right? So he doesn't play a ton after that play in part because I'm sure the coaching staff is also like, where is your other hand, <laughs> right? It has got to be up there. You've got to make the play. You've been put in the game specifically because when you have that size and athleticism with the vertical, you are open. Always. You're always open, but you're only, <laughs> that's only meaningful if you put both hands up. And so we're going to see a lot more from him. These teams are not going to go away from their first round picks, quickly in any way shape or form you're going to get a full season at the least to evaluate whether this pick is a bust in the context of a situation where you have an elite quarterback in Justin Herbert you've got probably a good play caller although when you go 0 and two against two mediocre teams some people are still going to obviously not be happy right you look at the game log for this game you think back through because this is a game that it felt like the Chargers we're in command of, but they have a situation where they have an 11 play field goal drive on their second possession. They have a 63 yard field goal drive later. They have a 10 play field goal drive as the game ends in regulation and you send it to overtime. They do have some situations in this game where they go for it on fourth down, convert and score. Those are important. They also had a situation where they did punt, on a fork down that was a little bit surprising and yet that one actually worked out for them because they were able to force a quick stop and then score on the next drive so they're probably not that unhappy with that particular decision but also a lot of punts in this game and a lot of punts because the rushing game wasn't there and so anytime that you add in these rushes that get you absolutely zero value and then you throw an incomplete pass you're very close already to a situation where you might have to punt The Tennessee Titans, probably a little bit better team than people are giving them credit for, even though they come into this game on a big losing streak. So when you're the road game, you're losing at the Titans. This isn't some catastrophic loss, but we already in the early going are in a situation where there's pressure on Herbert, there's pressure on Moore, there's pressure on Brandon Staley. People are going to be looking for them to get the first round pick into this game. Obviously, they're going to want Austin Eckler back as soon as they can. I think that we're going to see more Quentin Johnson, but you also have to, again, be willing to update how you're looking at these players. And certainly, it's not been a good start for Johnson. You can't just ignore that. Now, you know we're not going to sell low or any of those types of things, but we do want to see progress for him. This is not a good start.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And this could, like 0-2 now, this could get pretty ugly pretty quick because it has been a team that has underachieved over the last couple of seasons. Obviously, when you get a situation when Herbert comes in, everything is looking positive with a young quarterback, but... There comes a time when you have to start to achieve and, and make the playoffs and get those results. And with Keenan Allen, for example, aging, Mike Williams is aging. So, kind of getting into the point where 0 and 3, 0 and 4 starts are, are not going to make things easy. Sean, we are going to finish up on the Kansas City Chiefs and the Jacksonville Jaguars. This was a kind of strange game, 17 to 19. But we, you know, and that we still get uh, 305 passing yards from Holmes, two touchdowns, one interception. 29 of 41 for him pacheco 12 on the ground 12 carries 70 yards rushing he leads the way quite considerably you know patrick mahomes is next of the seven for 30 but nobody else you know there's a couple of people in there with one carry but uh pacheco getting you know, over 50 percent off the actual carries we get sky Moore with a, a big play 54 yards he gets three receptions 70 yards and a touchdown we do have a snap count for travis kelsey but he does get in the end zone four for 26 and a touch for him quite a week for rishi rice we continue to see Kadarius tony get you know targeted quite heavily uh, when he is out there five targets five receptions 35 yards for him and a mixed bag then between everything else 12 total players targeted in this one sean for the kansas city chiefs so they were really trying to spread things around but on the other side i thought trevor lawrence really struggled in this 41 pass attempts just 22 completions 216 yards edn has 12 rush attempts They kind of obviously got away from the the rush game a little bit in this and they didn't really have to because it was never completely out of reach but they were struggling throughout this one edn 12 for 40 on the ground only 18 total rush attempts for the team. Christian Kirk, the big winner in this. 14 targets, 11 receptions, 110 yards. After he had the down week one, we obviously had a massive week one from Calvin Ridley. Eight targets for him, but just two for 32. And then, you know, Zay Jones gets six targets, no receptions. Obviously, that leads to, to no yards when you get no receptions. So kind of almost a little bit of a, a flip of what happened in week one for Ridley and Jones. Then we get Christian Kirk getting his day, evan ingram six for 57 on eight targets so the question here i guess is how to look at this offense moving forward and also for the kansas city chiefs basically the wide receiver core outside of tight ends is it going to be a case that it's going to be very hard to have full confidence week to week who leads the way and the one other note just to mention is uh tanks bigsby had no risk no targets or no rush attempts in this particular one so Obviously, ETN getting, getting the, the lion's share of the work for the running backs.
2: Yeah, if there's a positive note for Bigsby fans, he was out on the field, although not touching the ball. He was on the field for you know their highest leverage possessions there at the end. Sort of a discouraging note all the way across the board for the key players for Jacksonville after etn looked like a potential league winner in week one this game was pretty distressing after calvin ridley looked like a potential league winner in week one now you're suddenly back to where you know if you were drafting him before the two three turn that might have been a little bit optimistic i was saying that he was the big winner really of the entire weekend outside of obviously puka for week one i mean he's the biggest loser i think of really any high-profile player in Week 2. Now, he does make you know, one of the all-time great highlight catches, but it was funny. For someone who was getting completely and totally dominated by LeJarious Sneed, he seemed to want to trash-talk him when he did anything decently well. I mean, Sneed's out there like, uh, <laughs> I'm in your hip pocket, and <laughs> you can't get away from me in any way, shape, or form. It was one of the most masterful performances from the defensive back that you will See, this has to be just. I don't know. I mean, you're looking at this from a Jacksonville perspective, and it's a nightmarish game because Trevor Lawrence didn't look very accurate. It brings back some of the memories from the. You mentioned nightmarish, the word. I, I didn't go to it, but I was going to say that this was a mess. It, you know, and one of the things you kind of want to see as a fantasy manager is usage that. I mean, we know that scoring is not going to be consistent. You're going to have some big plays. You're going to have some games that have lesser efficiency. Those big plays and big games are going to be skewed very much in favor of the bigger talents. And yet, I mean, you'd like to be able to count on usage either to bench a player or to start a player and to have Christian Kirk not involved at all in week one and then come back and have 14 targets, 11 catches A lot of them really in ways that maybe weren't that useful to the team. But to have Zay Jones locked down, this is a game where Zay Jones and Calvin Ridley combined for 14 targets and two catches. It was also a game where there was no room for Travis Etienne to run. It's a home game for the Jaguars and a chance to get to 2-0. It's a game in which the Chiefs continued in what's a little bit of a disturbing trend for them, where... You get the fumble from Richie James that really hurt him. I mean, James was someone who didn't have a good game here at all. The Chiefs over and over gave the Jaguars chances in this one and failed to pull away even in a game in which Patrick Mahomes played very well and which their defense played very well. I can't be completely unbiased or unbiased in any way, shape, or form about the Chiefs sort of (laughs) from a full-team perspective as obviously a big fan, and yet... I'm looking at this game, and even though you have the home loss to the Lions to start, you have a victory against the Jaguars that is not an overly dominant victory from a score perspective. This is a game where you go on the road to Jacksonville and really utterly dominate the Jaguars. I think when we look back at the end of the season, this might be a statement win for Kansas City in that now we're starting to see the Chiefs and a a Chiefs team with Chris Jones – as maybe a bad matchup for an opposing offense which isn't what you want i mean this was a game with high implied totals you'd love to see chiefs games as pure shootouts certainly if you have a sky Moore, if you have a Kadarius tony if you have an isaiah pacheco you want to see shootouts because you want the chiefs to need to continue to score if the chiefs can play as well as they did on defense here and they're a top five defense in the nfl which is what they looked like on sunday I mean, that's a little bit of a bad news for fantasy. It's certainly a bad news for the rest of the teams around the NFL, because one of the things that low key came out of this is that the chiefs were able to get some value out of Isaiah Pacheco, which they haven't in the past. They were able to get value out of sky Moore, who, I mean, this is easily his best game, right? Even though he's still not that involved, only four targets, but you get the 70 yards, you have a long play, you have a touchdown, both of those things, very positive. They continue to use Justin Watson deep. They got Noah Gray involved in this one. Kadarius Tony doesn't play a lot, but catches all five of his targets. Travis Kelsey looks very bad. And you know that that's unlikely to continue. So even in a game where he's not really able to do much, they're effective on offense. Rasheed Rice, I still think, is the guy who needs to be the guy for Kansas City he needs to be out there this is a game where you mentioned all these different players got targets and yet Justin Ross was not one of them but Justin Ross was out there on the field a couple times so <laughs> never fear him he does exist this is a game where I mean Kansas City just again looks like the defending Super Bowl champions and a team that probably is better in 2023 despite the weird slash bad start than they have been during these last five years when they've been the best team in football yes we'll see maybe
1: we get the KC Chiefs by back there again uh, in the Super Bowl come February but we'll see how that all plays out but we're excited for NFL week three we will be back with our Friday edition as we dive into more topics and we're always looking for feedback on these shows we've got some great feedback recently we're always looking for ideas of what people would like to hear on the recap shows the midweek shows or the weekend preview slash dynasty kind of theme shows so let us know you can send them my way on Twitter at Overtime Ireland or you can email them across at road at gmail.com my name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Over to Tomarland. My co host is Sean Siegel. You can check out all of Sean's work on rotabiz.com. And if you are signing up, you can use the code RBRadio2023 at checkout to get a 10% discount. Get access to all of the content and the tools up on the website. And until we are back, have a good one.